Now Kerr, looking for the long, oh that's brilliant. And Sam Kerr has surely clinched the title now. World-class players do world-class things. Just like that, we are champions for the third time in a row. Never in doubt what I tell you on the last podcast. No, never <laughs> oh, in I was doubt. Shook. <laughs> I was completely I know you shook. Were. I know you were, and I was reveling in it because just weeks earlier, I Why was in the same... reveling in my pain and Chelsea's because, pain? Because doing? a week earlier, I was in a similar position, and you <laughs> secretly and silently reveled in that. But no, you're right. We, you said it, and it happened. And I said at the time that it was a good jinx, and you said that good jinx don't exist, but clearly Correct. they do because <laughs> look at look at what's unfolded today. You know, I'm I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the listeners in on a little behind the scenes. Um, when we ended last week's pod, I said I didn't want to say this on the pod because I was scared I was gonna jinx it and it was gonna be wrong. But I actually said that I thought Arsenal were gonna lose points before this uh, before the final day of the season. I thought it was going to be kind of like a formality that Chelsea would go out there and Arsenal would have already lost a chance to win the title. So I was completely wrong about that. And I'm so glad I didn't say that part of it on the pod. But either way, I was <laughs> fairly confident we were going to beat United. But ooh, I was not confident about, mm, what, 20 minutes in or so? That was not a that, that was not what I expected. Um, we just started talking about the match. Hello. Hi, I'm Andre Carlisle. Uh, this is Fran Kirby's Fight Club. Uh, we talk about Chelsea women, as you can probably tell, <laughs> pretty exclusively. Uh, and I'm here with Mariam. Mariam, how are you right now? Right now? Right right now, I'm really good. Right but, this moment. <laughs> but all those hours ago in the morning, so I had to wake up like insanely early, which is actually not insanely early unless you're an insomniac. Um and I and I got to the stadium, so I was covering West Ham versus Arsenal for the Guardian, and I'm just like, you know, game has started. It's actually not West Ham were really good defensively in the opening 45 minutes. I'm just plugging along, minding my own business. Why do I turn around and I see Jordan Nobbs who's sitting next to me, losing her absolute mind? And I just knew, knew in my heart. And then around me, Rachel Yankee was sitting behind me. Um, there were a couple of Flo who works for BBC, a couple of people around me that said it's one nil to United, and I just thought. Here we go again. It's going to be one of those days. And of course, it had to be this day and this game. Um, and it was incredibly stressful and really hard to focus on the game at hand. And I'm really glad that not a lot, well, Arsenal scored two goals and they won the game, but really not a lot happened because West Ham did a pretty good job. If it was anything more than that, I would have really, really struggled to divide my attention. So I'm really grateful, actually, Andre, that you were the one who was uh, not only watching the game, but covering the tweets as well. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was painful. I mean, we we normally just just if anybody's listening who is a new listener, welcome, thank you. But um, we normally break down things. You know, we start pretty slow. We talk about the lineup, the decisions, and <laughs> we look at the formation and you know what we probably could expect throughout the game or what we thought we were going to expect but didn't expect or maybe exactly what we expected happened. You know, we talk about performances line by line. You know, we do the defensive line, we do the midfield line, we do the forward line, we do all of that. And uh, when we talk about matches today, we ain't going to do any of that. <laughs> like We are just going to revel yeah. in winning the league for the third consecutive time, fourth time in five seasons. Absolutely unreal. Making history. Making 
absolute history. This team is ridiculous. Although I do have one note about the lineup to discuss because when I saw it, I was like, Emma Hayes, what you doing? <laughs> like, like, what, what, what are we doing? Like, I, I'm cool. <laughs> I, I'm cool with like a little farewell. Like, oh, we're gonna miss you. Here's a start. But I don't understand giving that to John Anderson and not G. I was concerned not seeing G out there. I was like, hold on a second. We went away from the three-five-two. That's been very, very good for us. We went back to the three-four-three, and we're trusting John Anderson at left wing back again. And like again, honestly, straight up, seriously, no disrespect to her but it just does not like the role does not really suit her all of that all that well and it was a struggle it was a real struggle united came out with a ton of intensity and i was like we we looked the shakiest we looked i mean i i think we even looked shakier in the opening like 20 minutes than we did like versus um versus spurs when, when i was like i don't i don't recognize this team and it was a lot of that and it was very scary because like this is the wrong day for this yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think the whole situation with John Anderson, it's it's one of those things where the manager is making a decision to to kind of execute a particular tactic, but just doesn't have like the right personnel for it, or is trying to almost guide or shape the team towards that. So having John Anderson, in, especially against Man United, because is to help shore up that area of the pitch because Katie Zellum, who plays in the middle of the pitch, is able to actually play across positions and she's almost always the one pulling the strings, especially when it comes to counters. Um, I think the whole idea of having Anderson play there is that she can provide double support and she can also cut out those spaces. But as you say, it's just it's just not a great fit. Not only does it look really awkward when you watch her in that position, but you can tell it's not comfortable for her. It's not like a natural thing she's doing. So that's how you know almost certainly that Emma Hayes is trying to push her towards something or there's a certain idea or tactic. It didn't work. And at halftime, we needed to make the double say, uh, substitution. We needed to bring on Jean. We needed to bring on Cuthbert and, and get a control of the midfield because allowing Katie's element and allowing um, further up uh, the wing backs to take control of the game is what almost was at, um, at fault for both those goals, the, the two goals that United did score. So I think there was a there was a sort of inclination to try and experiment an idea, but it's like you're saying this isn't the game to to experiment things. This is the kind of the game we want to win. Maybe next season and the beginning of the season you might want to try some things out, but this this just wasn't the day for it. Uh, I think she knew at half time. Maybe maybe she in her head said, "I'll give it forty five minutes. I'll see how it goes." But at half time, I think the changes were needed. We got a grip of the midfield and. Um, we were able to start creating more spatial circumstances where we could allow players to push forward um, without any gaps behind that could be used for counterattack. So I think two, the two goals with Sam Kerr, we'll, we'll talk about Sam Kerr, we'll talk about her quite a bit, but the two goals, you see straight away how the change in midfield is affecting people further up. Um, but yeah, it was it was a confusing move, I think, for me. I just sort of felt that it was not necessary or not needed. Yeah, I couldn't really understand it, but you know, and and you know, you mentioned the midfield. I think one of the things that was that was most alarming, you know, not just that United were playing really intense, they were pressing everything, they were getting the ball in and around our box, causing a lot of confusion. But I think the biggest problem was we weren't winning any second balls because it felt like Aaron Cuthbert was having to do other duties to try to make mm-hmm. up for players that were running around, you know, unmarked. And anytime there was a second ball and we thought maybe if we get a chance, we can get on this ball and we can hit them in transition. Like maybe 
that's a tactic that we can use. But we had nobody there in midfield multiple times to collect that second ball. And that was really concerning to me because that is not how Chelsea play. Like if there's a loose ball, we're at least challenging for it. We're usually never, not even in frame. So I didn't like, I was having a hard time figuring out like what is happening right now. And I mean, credit to Manchester United, they absolutely took advantage. And actually I'm, I'm glad they didn't take advantage as much as they could have because they scored what 13 minutes in it was Martha Thomas. It was from, uh, from very good delivery into the box. It was very, uh, it was an, one of those annoying goals to go in, but you're also expecting that to kind of go in. Uh, once you kind of see the, the trajectory of the ball and you're like, ah, this looks bad. And then, you know, Aaron Cuthbert scores answers back in five minutes. I was like, okay, that goal has to like, as, as bad as Chelsea had been playing, that goal has to mean something like is a has to be like a reset button, right? You're thinking, all right, Aaron Cuthbert got us a goal from nothing, which seriously, a hell of a strike. Just clean. It's pure. just, yeah. It was a hell of a strike. And and just live, left Mary Earps, who didn't have a good day, but left Mary Earps just kind of standing there. She didn't even dive. She just kind of watched it roll into the far netting. And I don't necessarily even blame her because that's exactly like, there wasn't a whole lot she could have done because it happened so quickly and it had such velocity on the shot. But then just seven minutes after that, we're down 2-1 again. Ella Toon scores. And it was another ball that was sent in through the box. Initially, it looked like the initial, the pass to set up the cross was offside, but it doesn't actually appear on replay that it was. Um, I have no idea if VAR would have changed it. I know there were, there were a lot of cries for VAR and I don't even want to get into a VAR conversation <laughs> I I don't like how it's been implemented in just about every league. But I, at that moment, I was just like, this is frustrating. This is extremely frustrating because, yeah, we scored, but we're trailing again. And the match didn't change the way I thought it was going to change. And so really, we were holding on until until halftime. And it felt like, I don't know about you, but I felt like going into halftime 2-1 kind of felt like we got away with it a little bit. It probably could have been 3-1. And that's the concerning thing. I think there have been very few instances across the season where it's been situations like that. Perhaps more so in the last four or five weeks, maybe Aston Villa or Spurs or you know one of those games. So it, w- it was a little concerning that the game was getting away from us. But we said it last week, when we're in trouble and we need someone to get us out of jail, there's always one person who will rise up and it's always, it's always Sam Kerr. And you know, it wasn't just it wasn't just a goal. It wasn't just oh, you know, we're, we're back level now. It was an absolute screamer. Like even she was shocked. She was like, you could see the players around her, like the technique, the skill, absolutely incredible. It was an absolute screamer. And I don't even want to talk about the second one. I'm gonna let you talk about the second one because <laughs> that one was possibly might possibly be the best goal I have seen in women's football. Oh At, my definitely God. in the WSL. Erin uh, Cuthbert yeah. was up there a few seasons ago against, um, not Erin Cuthbert, Sophie Ingle against uh, Arsenal. Mm-hmm. But this, I think, this trumps it. Yeah. I. You know what's so great about this is that Sam Kerr is just, how often do we see her even take strikes from outside the box? Like You don't see it very often. And, and to her credit, we don't, we don't really see her, you know, step out there and attempt them because you don't score 20 goals a season without like by just continually taking 20, 25, 30 yard shots. Like that's not going to be a thing. Her thing is making sure she scores goals. In fact, I loved a quote that she had uh, after the match. She said, when everyone asks what's your favorite goal, she says, I always say the easiest one. <laughs> and that's such an <laughs> amazing Sam Kerr like mentality. It's so true. Like she, 
she wants the high percentage chance. That's why she is so dangerous in the box because she gets herself in great spaces. She's excellent at heading the ball. She gets herself in position. She knows how to position her body and get off shots. So she is amazing in the box. But that doesn't mean that she can't from time to time step outside of the box and do some magic. And she did two absolutely ridiculous goals, like left and right foot, by the way. The first one was a left foot volley that I was like, what the hell? I, I, I didn't know she could do that, honestly. And then the next one, the, the, the one that you were talking about might be the best goal scored in the WSL. I, 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 I'm going to have to review a number of goals, but that's oh, got to be up on. there because, oh my God, like when <laughs> I saw what she was about to do and I saw the goal and she, she said she didn't even see the goalkeeper. I thought no. she saw the goalkeeper yeah, I, out you watched and the replay. thought that's why she was going to do it, but she said she didn't even see her. You watch the replay and you see everything happens almost in a snap sense. It's very, it's a very reactionary goal, but things that are reactionary can still be beautiful and they can still, you know, have possessed an energy where you can marvel at it. She sees, you know, she gets the ball. There's obviously a, a rebound or a deflection straight away. Notices the keeper's off the line, and it all happens so quickly. But she says that she didn't see that. But then, if she didn't see the keeper, then what was, you know, was she attempting to lob the keeper from from where, you know, where they were standing on the goal line? It just seems like what she means when she says that is it's, it's instinctive. You know, it she might have consciously cleaned the situation, seen what happened, but before she had even time to process it, she was doing what she knows best, which is to, to connect with the ball and, and make the most of that situation. There's, it's such a, you know, it's a goal that is so nuanced. It possesses so many different qualities. Maybe that's the best thing about it. It's, it's not only quick and fast and on the money, but also if you slow it down and you notice each individual element of it, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, I, I had to go and post the GIF of it on my account because there's like a slow motion um angle of it that's like from behind it well it's actually from like the side view um and it's and it's not quite like like field level but it's like or pitch level but it's it's up just a little bit but what's so great about it is as soon as like you see the chest control where it basically just pops the ball up in the air and then she sets her feet to be able to hit it with the right foot on the volley as it drops what's so great about this angle is that it's it's in tight for all of that and then after she makes the connection it zooms out so you can see where the ball is in the air. And you can see that Herbs had no shot. Absolutely no shot. Because by mm -hmm. the time the camera zooms out far enough, you already see the ball is already more than halfway towards the goal. Like that, like she put such velocity on that shot and such spin on it to make it dip that it was just like, it was such a ridiculous <laughs> good shot. And I was like, I didn't know Sam Kerr had that in her. And also, I didn't know that even if she knew that she had that in her, that she would pull that out in that game, that situation. I mean, it it wasn't the one that gave us the third goal. It was our fourth. And I want to talk about our third goal in a second because Guru's run was amazing. But that it basically secured the it secured the title because if we would have kept it 3-2, it would have been nervy, right? Because mm -hmm. all, all they had to do is score a goal and give us a draw and then we'd lose the title because Arsenal was winning. So that extra goal cushion where they made it 4-2 like doing it that way was just so perfect and so just like otherworldly magnificent I was, I was like perfect way to win a title perfect way to win a title and I love that Jordan Niles was watching because I hope she saw it you you know that bench was awfully silent 
for the last 20 minutes of the game. And we were talking about it off air, but um, even Jonas Adebo, he said in the, in the post-match press conference, he said the last 15 minutes, it was like someone had died in the stadium. The stadium was dead. The energy was gone. The players could feel it. The fans could feel it. And it was just almost, you know, if it wasn't a really sunny, really nice day, it would just, you know, it would be really tragic. It was just, you know, the reaction from... And I pointed it out. I said, um, so we asked him, we asked, did you tell your players what was happening in the game? And they said, oh, he said, no, we, we didn't really know. And, you know, at half time there was an announcement. But I was like, Jordan Nobbs seemed to know plenty. And he got he got a little bit, you know, riled about that. I said, players, you know, have the right to be emotional. Fair enough. But um, they had the right to be emotional. We had the right to, to call it out when things aren't going their way. Because, like I said, it was awfully quiet in the last half an hour. Um, and I think they knew that the, the jig was up because it didn't matter how many goals they scored. Um, whether that was two or three or four, it was about Chelsea winning. And as he rightfully said, um, it was the Birmingham game out of all games, bottom of the league against at the time top of the league, and it was that game that changed everything. You know, uh, I don't necessarily want to get into like the back and forth with Idaval because, of course, he said the the dumb thing in the lead up to this game, talking about how Chelsea rearranged fixtures so that Sam Kerr wouldn't miss so many games when she was at the Asia Cup. Yo, it was COVID. And for is... a couple of those, it wasn't even us. Like, it was other teams. I believe we were yeah. supposed to play Spurs, and I think it maybe it was West Ham. I can't remember exactly. But I remember the games that got postponed, those were other players. The, those, the other team who announced that they had an outbreak and requested the postponement. So, like, all of his talking, trying to make it seem like Chelsea, you know, kind of did a backdoor thing or a, a cheeky way to make sure they got enough points to win the title. Like, get out of here, dude. Like, they scored an offside goal in the first game against us. That's the only reason they got those three points. We had a bad result against Reading. We had a bad result against Brighton. Like, we we had to get those last-minute goals against Aston Villa and Birmingham City. Like, we had we earned this. And as we said on the last pod, the XG differential shows – that the gap between us and Arsenal and us and the rest of the entire league was not one point. It was a lot more than that. And of course, you don't just say, you know, you don't look at the XG and, and notice that, but I'm talking about what it does reference is like the balance of play, the style of play, how you're controlling games and how you're defending um, the opposition. And both of those things do like that stat gives you a pretty decent snapshot of the fact that we create a ton of chances and we limit a ton of chances. And that's the reason why. We were, to me, the best team in the league. It just we needed to solidify it with this win, and what a hell of a way to win it! And the other thing is, like nobody really wants to play three rescheduled games in the space of one week. Like it's not fun to play Spurs twice in four days. I don't think that was part of our master plan. We struggled in both of those ties. It was really hard, and on a different day, it could have been you know points could have been dropped there. Um, So it's just it's just not sort of feasible or realistic, but. At the same time, I understand every manager hurts and they hurt in their own way. But um, this is just how it happened this season. It having a season like Arsenal have had and to lose one game and have a few other moments and not win the season, it's it's painful. And it does seem like they're going to be losing Medima this this summer. So it you know could be a con- completely different Arsenal we see next season. But what matters, as you say, is not just how we won, but the manner of the win. The last few weeks we've had a few results that have been difficult to manage throughout the game. But we've pushed through, and I think maybe in this particular portion of the season, you see exactly what Emma Hayes has drilled into the team, how to react and respond to setbacks, how to respond when you're a goal down or a player down. Those are the moments that make a team 
when it comes to the business end of the season. And I think that it's been executed absolutely perfectly. Like all credit to Emma Hayes. I think we should we should mention that because she's coached this team in a really difficult season with COVID and various injuries and Fran not playing and you know the Asian World Cup as the owners like to talk about. So many things have gone wrong and 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 gone astray, and she's led us through it all. So I think that we need to celebrate Emma Hayes and celebrate all she's done for this club and and hopefully have her for many years to come. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that's the that's the thing. I I I, I love Emma Hayes's response, and I want to take the cue from her, even though I already didn't. But I want to take the cue <laughs> from her because she heard that quote and they were trying to, you know, the the journalists doing their job, by the way, supposed to ask about these things when they come up. Um, and she just was like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to get into that. We're worried about ourselves. Like, that's what it really looks like when you have full confidence in your own team and you're not looking and obsessing over the other team. And what are they doing? What 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 can I what are they getting that we're not getting? And then you start coming up with conspiracy theories and all that stuff. It was nonsense and it was always nonsense. And I'm so glad, like so thankful that Emma didn't feed into it. I think the one time she did was was when she did the purr thing, which was amazing. <laughs> uh, I think that was like the one time she did. But apart from that, it was like, I'm not getting into a back and forth with the Arsenal manager. We're just going to let our play talk. And this was like a perfect display of how Chelsea does that. I think it was um, Katie Wyatt who posted, got the update on the exact time between the two goals. So Chelsea went from not being not uh, not securing the title to being on top of the table within about four minutes and forty one seconds. That's the time between yeah. goals. It was incredible, and that we talk about that all the time on the podcast. That when this team is up and flying, and when they find that gear. And they find something that's going to work about you, whether it's one particular thing or they know where the spaces are going to be, they exploit it and then they do it again and they do it again and they do it again and they just will not stop coming at you. And that's part of that ruthlessness. And we saw that today and they absolutely needed it because down 2-1 at halftime, I was like, a draw will not do. I, I know Arsenal's going to score just because you just know Arsenal's going to score. You have to win this game. And the changes at halftime, as you already mentioned, absolute perfection. Needed to get G on. We needed her to be able to move the ball uh, from deeper positions in midfield. And then we also needed to bring on, you know, Bethany England. She replaced Sophie Engel. I think that was more so to, like, give us more threats, you know, help move Pernilla Harder down just a little bit more, you know, do some different things to try to help out instead of spreading everybody across the top. But it also allowed, you know, Gua Wrights in the shift down to left wing back, where she's very, very good. And yeah, I, actually, you know what? That's perfect because I wanted to talk about her goal as well because I think Guru's goal was was so incredible. Like her run, once once G, and this is the other thing, exactly what we were talking about, these two subs, this is what's so important about Emma Hayes making this this that particular change is you could see it. It all worked just exactly as it should have worked because you had to, to score for Guru's goal, what you had was we, we pressured Arsenal along the side they had one outlet pass and G read it. G stepped in front and intercepted the ball and then immediately played a, a perfectly weighted through ball wide to Pernilla Harder. Guru was behind Pernilla and was following the play and darting. And she saw that Pernilla was in that wide space where, where she would normally be. But she saw the gap, knew that the gap would open up if she darted basically into the center of goal. So she headed towards basically the penalty spot. And Pernilla was able to find her with a cutback and it was a simple tap in finish. Like to me, that goal was like classic Chelsea. And that's mm -hmm. that honestly is one of those things that like 
it's going to be hard to replace that from G, quite honestly. Like, that was a thing where I was like, oh, we needed that, and we're not going to have that next season. And that makes me sad, but I'm so glad we had it today. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. It's almost like the old G, you know, the G before Emma Hayes asked her to step back and, and be in a more of an accommodating position, the G that would just be floating around and pickpockets and, and snatch back possession and find the little gaps that no one else can really find like she did today. It it was, you know, games like that, big games where it would always be her unlocking defences and she knew how to do it. She knew that it was a way. Um, often when we're facing a team with a, with a pretty low block or if we're coming up a team that are, you know, enforcing certain tactics, she would know how to unlock that. And I think this was a bit of, of that, almost sort of a, a bit of nostalgia Today she was she was that and she was more and I think a lot of people I saw a lot of tweets where people were saying don't lead the WSL because you know you entertain us you've done so much for Chelsea we need you and it's kind of interesting to think about how this team could look like without her um, obviously we kind of like in a physical sense we know that we know exactly how a squad or a team could line up without G in it but I mean that particular element especially if uh, you know if Frank Kirby isn't playing or if um, if that supplementary element isn't there, how do we bring that about without sacrificing players? G has done so much for us in that role. I think she's almost revolutionised that role for Chelsea. Um, she's It's going to feel like a bit of a gaping hole. And I think it's going to be interesting how Emma Hayes fills the hole and also whether she experiments, because we do know that she did that the beginning of last season, which is like the perfect time to experiment. And she, you know, she came about and she found a lot of things that work for us now. So I wonder whether with G gone, we're going to see a bit more more movement and some sort of rotation and, and switching and, and swapping around. Yeah, I think this, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, you know, because this summer is going to be super, super important and very interesting, I think, for Chelsea. I think the they clearly have, they seem to clearly have plans about what they want to do to boost the squad. And that's why I'm I'm assuming although I probably shouldn't assume, but I am assuming that this is why we're so comfortable letting three players go, um, and particularly G as, as kind of the main one because we don't really have another player who does what she does. You know, with Millie out, she should be back, you know, after she gives birth and, you know, gets back in, a, in, in fitness and game shape, but we don't necessarily know, you know, exactly when that's going to be, obviously. She's going to miss the Euros, we know that, but we don't know if she's going to be back for the start of the season, middle of the season, not sure, don't know. But I just didn't like we we I trust that we have a plan and <laughs> that we wouldn't just let, let G walk and then come in and be like, man, we really we really miss G. Like, I don't think that's what's going to happen, but there aren't that many players who can do what she's done. And we talked last podcast about how how important of a signing she was and how we really respected the fact that she went from basically being Chelsea's number 10 for all those years, scoring goals and linking play and just being that clever, creative player. And she adapted to the role of playing deeper in a more um, kind of more typical central midfield role. It was impressive. It was really impressive. And we really, really needed it. Like, the, like if she wasn't able to translate those skills, we would have been struggling. Because like, you know, Guru's goal, I, please go back. If you haven't watched the full like length of it, I believe we posted the clip that has the full, uh, the full length of it. You can see just the, the, the brain power, the processing, the awareness, everything. Like that is that is we're gonna miss that. We don't really have another player that does that. Makes that makes that interception and immediately makes that pass to open up the def- defense. Like that was incredible. So particularly we don't have it without Melly, which we'll get her back at some point. So like 
but apart from like, I don't even want to talk about being sad right now, uh, thinking about players that are leaving. We definitely have an FA Cup final to play against Manchester City next week. So, but beyond that, can we just talk about how incredible it is to win the league title three consecutive years, three consecutive seasons is absurd. And I think a lot of people maybe don't grasp how difficult that is. I mean, you see it on the men's side because there's such a huge gap and disparity in terms of funding and quality. You know, Man City and Liverpool, the men's team respectively, are always going to, to be up then. You kind of know that. But actually, the last three or four seasons in WSL, it hasn't been so black and white, especially this season, obviously, out of all the seasons. But even the season where COVID struck and things were confusing and he ended up going down to, to points. There's been a lot of uncertainty in women's football, and that is very much reflected on the pitch. It's it's almost like, you know, it's kind of having to navigate through a sea with lots of debris or even anything that has all these problems coming at you. And Emma Hayes has, has, has led us through that all. And that's what I was kind of trying to get at earlier, that she's led us through all of that. And every single time, her you know, her perception and, and her, her understanding and her insight has got us through those tough, patchy periods. Yes, there have been moments that have been difficult and hard, like losing the Champions League final or um, losing particular games, but there has been a steady sense of of progression and and improvement. And as we were saying, we have been seeing for a couple of weeks, there's obviously a next level to reach. Um, But that uncertainty and and going through those games, not knowing what what was happening week by week, that has been incredibly hard. And to win three titles back to back um, and... uh, even as your arrivals strengthen and sign new players and you stick with what you have and you improve what you have, that is like top tier managing. And I've, al- I've already kind of commended her once, but I'll do it again because it's, it's, it's down to Emma Hayes, how this team works and functions and manages and is able to get past games and is able to compete at top level is all down to her. And we often question and, 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 you know, kind of doubt the stuff she does, you know, we have confusions over her treatments of Bethany England and all sorts of other drama, but like that's just like 1%. The other 99% is really her absolutely bossing it at the top end of women's football. And I don't think at all that, you know, the only way from here for her, if she was ever to leave Chelsea, is is upwards. You know, there was that whole deal with trying to get her to go to like a League 3 or League 4 side, and that just doesn't work because what she's done with Chelsea three seasons back to back against you know in three seasons featuring top title races you don't do that you don't you know you don't just pull that out of the bag that is effort and hard work and not half as much funding as a men's team makes so yeah that is that is my take on whatever you whatever you asked me at the beginning of this run (laughs) (laughs) no I actually think that's a very good point I, I do want to underscore that that a lot of our a lot of our you know, discussions about decisions that Emma Hayes makes, we're discussing things in the margins. We're mm-hmm. not discussing things in terms of like, you know, she should be, you know, like like the big things, like getting big things wrong that some other managers do. Like if like a like imagine Gareth Taylor was Chelsea's manager. Like we'd be a lot more critical. Like so we're dealing, we know we have a lot of trust and faith in Emma Hayes and we should. Um she's built an incredible squad. She's built an incredible system of play, styles of play and recruited extremely well. So whenever we have criticisms, just remember it is in the margins. And I do think that it's also a good point to to like look at this sustained kind of run is so hard to do. There's a there's a reason why you this was the first team to do this three mm-hmm. consecutive seasons. 
you know, Arsenal would spend some time on top and then they go down. Another team comes on top. Manchester City, we saw last season, they were number two. They were behind us. And then they're what? They're going to be nine points off of us this season. They had a terrible start to their season. So like, and we changed formations throughout that time. We've changed players throughout that time. You know, we've lost players that we've, that we've, um, that we've wanted to count on and have throughout that time. Like we've had so many Bethany England was was the team's top scorer and then she can't get minutes like we've had a lot of changes and no matter what the standard at Chelsea continues to to not just stay the same but elevate each year and that's the reason like to me that's the only possible way that you can have a sustained run like this where you win the league title three consecutive seasons like that is absolutely incredible and you ask like who couldn't respect that to be honest from the feed I was watching, it was the commentary <laughs> team. They were getting on my nerves. I don't know who it was. I think it was um, the the whatever, whoever uh, after football pipes in. That's how, that's kind of who we get from around here. So I don't know if it was the Sky team or somebody else. I really don't know. But they were like early on. It was you know the the commentary was just so like Chelsea's throwing away the title. Chelsea's throwing away the title. Like that's how they framed it, and it was like actually. United is playing extremely well right now. Chelsea is trying to fight back, but this like they're in a much bigger fight right now than what you may have expected. But like they're not throwing it away because it's not like they're losing like two nil to Birmingham City in the first half, right? Like it's they're not throwing it away to that. They're just not at the level that they need to be to get beyond this Manchester United team yet. But they kept talking about that, and then as soon as Chelsea wins, then it changes. They're like, well, what do we think about next season? Can they do it again? And they're like, no, I think Manchester City's going to win. I'm like, can you stop and pay attention and talk about the game that you just saw? You just saw an incredible game with a champion that was down 1-0, then down 2-1, come back and win 4-2. You saw some incredible goals en route to doing that. And you saw the first three-time champion. Why don't you talk about any of that instead of always looking to can they do it again for a fourth time? Like, let us enjoy this, please, and shut your mouth if you can't. It's just, it's really funny because I just the other day I was speaking with my partner about this. We were watching the Liverpool men's team play, and and it was the second leg, right? And it was two two, which is really not that bad. And the commentator, were, the commentary team, was talking about you know, you know, backs on the wall defending, and Liverpool throwing it away, and the quadruples out of the picture. Uh, and then as soon as they score, the whole thing changes. I know to a certain element, like they have to to build drama, but in this case, you don't have to because the drama is building itself. Like it's it's happening already. You don't actually have to right. add anything because this game has given you everything. It's given you like a comeback story, two Sam Kerr goals that are absolutely top draw. You don't need to add any more sort of superlatives on top of that. That that's the thing that annoys me in games like this. Just just honor the football and honor what's happening on the pitch and, and the emotional element of what the players are feeling because that's exactly what makes it relatable and that's actually what makes it, you know, an entertaining match. Not the the things that we see afterwards where they sort of try to twist words and get people into different mindsets. The football itself, that's the most important thing. And today it, we've had so many games and each of those games had delivered. So, yeah, I share your frustration. It's annoying. It happens in the men's side and it happens in the women's side and it just doesn't, doesn't do anyone any sort of good deeds yeah i really appreciate and and love the phrase honor the football i think that is absolutely what they need to keep in mind like i don't know if they need to nail it on top of the, you know like that uh <laughs> like, like, 
they need to like nail it on top of the door or something so they read it or keep it. I don't know if it needs to be their phone background or whatever, but it needs to be somewhere where they can just remind themselves to honor the football because what they just saw, they did not match at all the moment. They did not match at all what happened. Like there were some good goal calls, but in terms of providing overall framework and context for what they were watching, it was terrible. It was absolutely awful. But I mean, we know, and that's another reason why we do this podcast so we can talk about it because it was amazing. Um, one note, one other note before we get out of here, because I just think this is absolutely incredible because as tense as I was and as tense as every other Chelsea supporter probably was, or definitely was in the first half going down one Oh, even at one, one, even at two, one strictly halftime, you want to know who I bet wasn't worried at all. Who? Pernilla harder. And do you want to know ice. why? Ice in the veins. She's icy. Ice in the veins, but also she's, she's like. We always win. Like, I always win. Oh, this doesn't yeah, matter. This was her seventh consecutive league title in three different leagues. And I'm going to butcher this, but I think it's Linkaping in, uh, in Sweden was her team. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. I, I, I absolutely demolished that. So apologies to anybody listening who is like, what, what the hell did just happen? But she won one with them. Wolfsburg won four and now two straight with Chelsea. So seven consecutive years or seasons she has won the league title. So Pernilla was chilling. She was like, I, I, I don't lose league titles. I just don't do that. That's not something I do with my life. <laughs> and she's got another one. So she's got seven straight. That's incredible. That's, that's crazy. That's actually probably the, the start of the day. I don't think anyone has mentioned that, but you are right. With her in this team, it just it does feel like you just don't lose. She knows what she's doing. And, and even the penalty she scored the other day against Spurs, just absolutely icy. She rolled across the floor. And and it was afterwards that she celebrated a bit, but it's it's right as you say. She probably doesn't even know what it feels like. It's probably an alien an alien feeling to her. That, to be honest, I could do with a few more players like that in our squad. <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah. To to be honest, I saw it was a. Uh, I knew she won the four with Wolfsburg, and I knew she obviously had the last two with Chelsea. It was the Sweden league that I didn't know about. But Mia Eriksson, who's a very good reporter and she does the podcast Their Pitch, um, noted that she also won in the Swedish league as well before she went to Wolfsburg. So you put it all together and she's got seven total in the last seven seasons she's played in. That is just absolutely insane. All right. I think we've talked about it enough and I have to end the podcast. Otherwise I will continue to talk because I'm so like hype about the performance, winning the league the way we did. I kept, I, w- I won't lie. Something like as nervous as I was in the back of my mind, I was just thinking like, when we win this, it's going to make this even better. But <laughs> I didn't necessarily because, believe it. <laughs> so I didn't want to type it out. But is it is it because you said it in last week's podcast and therefore it had to happen? Otherwise, you were in big trouble. Well, I was going to say it was more that that thought process was more fear based because I was like, <laughs> like, I know I'm going to get destroyed if I'm the one who guaranteed we're going to lift the trophy and we don't do it. And we come out and just look terrible like it's Manchester United. So I was scared. But I was also like, you know what? We're going to do it. And I didn't know how. But I was like, I have to believe that we're going to do it. Wow. Those goals. All four of them. Definitely Sam Kerr's two. Those are the top two. Guru's run, uh, it, to me, makes that third. And, and it's wild that a goal as clean and as sweet as Aaron Cuthbert's is maybe the third or fourth. <laughs> but just, <laughs> just outrageous on the day. Like, I love this team. They are ruthless. Just ruthless. 
Yeah, well, I thought like this was going to be our last episode. I was like thinking of just doing like an emotional speech, but I'm going to save that for. <laughs> yeah, no, no, not, not yet. Save it for the summer. Yeah, not yet. It's our last one for the league because, of course, the league is over. But Chelsea has one more trophy to lift, and then we'll we'll discuss where we're going to go or what we're going to do in the off season. But I know we talked last uh, last episode about doing a uh, transfer one, so I don't know now that it seems like new ownership is going to be in there, it makes it a little bit more real. We still have, I'll say at least a couple episodes before we take a break, but mm -hmm. um, we're good. We're good. And I'm just so excited. And three times back to back to back champion. <laughs> Feels good to see.